Oh yeah, the raucous sounds of Sherbert Underground must mean it is another. It is time once again for Roto Rob's Fantasy Baseball Weekly Podcast, heard every Thursday at 9 p.m. EST on Blog Talk Radio. Well, we're back after missing a couple weeks for the holidays, but we are back to deliver our brand of fantasy baseball enlightenment. Happy New Year to all our listeners! In fact, we're almost in mid-January now which means we just passed the Hall of Fame voting yesterday. We're going to talk about that quite a bit. It's going to dominate our discussion tonight. We're five days away from the salary arbitration filing date, which will likely consume much discussion in the coming weeks. This week, the Dodgers, so close to firing Don Mattingly early last year, have now extended him. Veteran free agent reliever Scott Atchison signed with the Indians as part of a remade Cleveland bullpen. (laughs) And the Mets signed former catching prospect Taylor Teagarden to a minor league deal. We're going to cover some of these stories and many more over the next 55 minutes or so, so pull up a beanbag chair and get comfy. I'm Roto Rob, and once again, Roto Rob baseball editor Jim McLeod is MIA tonight. And once again, in his place is Roto Rob football writer Vanny Hariri, who joined me a couple of times last month for some spirited discussions. How are you this evening, Vanny? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. All right. That's good. I'm doing all right, too. Not as well as Raymond Hernandez, who's getting yet another kick in the can after signing a minor league deal with the Royals, although I have my doubts about the former All-Stars' ability to reemerge as a fantasy asset. So I want to remind you that the chat room is open. Just me in there now. Feel free to join me there, Vani. Uh, hopefully we'll get some uh, action going in there soon. And the phone lines are open. Guests, feel free to call in at 347-826-7358. I'll try to keep my eyes open uh, if we have any callers. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Okay, before we get into this week's news, I want to talk about what's going on over at Runner Rob on the site, on the baseball side, side of things. It's quiet lately, but uh, it's the calm before the storm. We recently, of course, completed our AFL photo galleries. The 2013 Rotorob Baseball Awards came out a couple of weeks ago, and now the focus is squarely on the 2014 Rotorob MLB Draft Kit. That's next up. Starting pitchers will kick things off. We're currently working on the profiles there. A couple more to write, doing some tweaks. Those look like they're all set. We're finally ready to launch that. Catchers, first base, second base, shortstop, and third base are all in with just you know, going through those files right now and tweaking, writing profiles. So start watching as we begin to release these cheat sheets very shortly. Basketball, we have the Wired Troll every Saturday, written by Bob Raymond. And the Basketball Awards are coming soon. Uh, I've been writing those over the last couple of days uh, with some help from Jake uh, Watroba. And we hope to have that launched within the next uh, few days, hopefully. On the football side of things, in-season coverage is now complete Thanks to Josh Johnson and his fabulous team, including Bonnie here, for all their awesome work this season. And do not forget, of course, to listen to the Roto-Rob Fantasy Football Weekly Podcast, heard every Wednesday at 2 p.m. EST on Blog Talk Radio. That goes year-round. The Football Awards came out Tuesday. Fantastic read if you haven't had a chance to yet. Definitely give that a look over. And uh, we also yesterday released our mock draft for the, um, the upcoming, uh, well, I guess in April, the 2014 NFL draft, uh, both all of uh, Vonnie, Nick, and uh, Josh chipped in with their projected top 20 picks, some, uh, 
some a lot of different uh, picks there, so really fascinating to see how each of you uh, saw that uh, playing out. Good read, so go get on the site and give it a look over. And on the hockey side of things, we have the Wire Troll written by hockey editor Chris Wassell, and that comes out every Sunday. We also launched the Hockey Awards, the 2013 Rotorob Hockey Awards, last week. And finally, the video games. It was a busy week this week with three reviews, including Monday when we reviewed Minecraft for the PS3. So if you're into that game, uh, which is, of course, a PC classic, you will need to see how it fares on the PlayStation. We recently passed 3,550 articles in the site's history, and the push is on now to 4,000. Won't be long now. Don't forget to follow me on StumbleUpon. Do you use uh, StumbleUpon at all, Bonnie? Um, I do not. What's that about? Uh, you know what? I wish I could tell you. It's really weird social media platform. I've never quite I've, – I've done a lot of reading trying to figure out how it works. Basically, it's an article sharing site. And you go there, you're not really supposed to share your own content, but I can't really figure out what else to freaking do with it. It's not very user-friendly, and how's that for a positive review? But I know that <laughs> if you get something on there and people stumble on it, and you, like, it, can, it has the ability to really catch fire on StumbleUpon. If you're lucky enough to write something that people gravitate to and share a few times, like, you, can, you can pick up so many hits, it's crazy. So what I do is I try to send over our really important articles, like our draft kit articles, cheat sheets, when we do the awards, like the really big articles, I will send over there, stumble upon, see if we can get some traction. You never know. Um, what's that? No, I said, yeah. Hello? I mean, it's, it's worth a shot. Yeah. Um, okay. So you know what? Uh, let's get to the news. Barry Bonds is back in the news, and not just because, of course, he did not make the Hall of Fame, as, as did you know, anyone from the steroid era whose uh, name has been tainted by the steroid era. But he's back in the news because his court case. There's an update there. Um, of course, you may recall that Bonds uh, was originally uh, convicted of one count of obstruction of justice in April 2011, for his testimony way back in 2003 about the Balco um, uh, things, which was like right at the forefront of the story there. He appealed that case. The appeal was turned down, and now he's trying to appeal again. Uh, but federal prosecutors are urging the appellate court to deny the request to rehear his attempt to overhear an obstruction of justice charge. That's where we're at. Bonnie, what can you tell me about this case? Uh, it's making my head spin. Well, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, he he agreed to, you know, to some terms in regards to it. I, I think it was, you know, the worst thing he was going to see was uh, 30 days of house arrest, uh, a penalty of like $4,100 and like 250 hours of community service. So, I mean, it's not like even if he does get convicted or it sticks that is going to be the end of the world. I think for him it's just based off of principle. You know, one of the things that I don't like about it in terms of this was clearly at the time supposed to be an example case, you know what I mean? There were cases mm -hmm. that were far easier for them, to, you know, you know, state prosecutors or federal prosecutors to, to, you know, to close on. This one was one of the murkier ones where some were flat-out obvious and you got flat-out admissions. 
you know, my issue with it is, is that, you know, it's been three years since he's been in trial last, I believe. And what we're talking about right now is, like you said, an example case, trying to set an example. And really what the biggest issue they were able to get with him is, is that they wouldn't cooperate <laughs> as them trying to, and them trying to convict him of a crime. And I just, I just think that any case that you have that depends on the person that you try to convict to assist you is either a case that you shouldn't bring or you should maybe get a couple things in the row before you do. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, I know exactly so what I, you mean. You're absolutely right. Isn't that, well, I hear you, and I totally agree with you, because isn't that what the fifth's all about? Like, you, you're not, you're not, you don't have to incriminate yourself. And, I mean, if you don't incriminate yourself, if that's obstruction of justice, what fucking choice do I have then? I mean, you know, like, I'm yeah, guilty or I'm guilty. Like, it, it's really ridiculous, but the, even taking a step back from this whole thing, my issue for the whole thing was, and I realized that um, the grand jury was investigating Balco at the time. Barry Bonds was not facing any charges. He was a key witness in the Balco investigation. So, uh, but of course... The fact was that, depending on his testimony, as you mentioned, he was going to incriminate himself at the time, potentially, or his buddy, uh, his buddy there, Anderson, uh, the, you know, the guy who was supplying him, the, uh, allegedly supplying him uh, his steroids. Um, but the bigger issue I've had in, with this and with the Roger Clemens case uh, with the Senate hearings and what have you is why... Is the government, the federal government, this isn't, uh, you know, like a, a local local uh, DA or whatever. This is the federal government. Why is the federal government getting involved in sports crap? Like, why why can't the sports police themselves, Ronnie? You know what I'm saying? No, absolutely. I think sure. You know what it is? Is it just you just have these monumental cash cows, which is why you know, um, which is why the NFL gets you know, you know their tax benefits and things of that nature that they get that 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 is kind of inexplicable that they get and things of that nature. You got these huge cash cows that make up you know the, the the major sports of America. I mean that these are conglomerates that just don't get messed with. And so this was a situation where the MLB had no real recourse; they couldn't get the information, and the federal government kind of swooped in like they were going to bail them out. And, and, again, the whole concept just really frustrates me. I understand that you wanted to get the Balco thing and all of that. But at the end of the day, to me, you know, outside of witnesses, yeah, you could call all, you could subpoena all those guys for witnesses, but if they don't want to cooperate, they don't want to cooperate. The fact that you turned your energy on him in particular um, just goes to show you, and Roger Clemens, just goes to show you that what happens when you stand up for yourself. Like, I just don't understand how you can say, okay, you tried to fight. You try to stand up for yourself, so we're going to go out of our way to stick something on you. To me, that just smacks of something, you know, distasteful. And I, I just, it, the whole well, thing just kind of frustrates me. It's a witch hunt because you wouldn't roll over and play ball with us. You know, anyone who, if, if Bonds or Clemens had simply said, yeah, you know what, we did, I did it, I apologize. I mean, who, who talks about Conseco anymore? Who talks about McGuire anymore? You know, like, Anyone who's admitted it, I mean, Jason Jambi admitted he's still playing. Pettit admitted it, and he played it on for years after that, you know? Like, there's and, and really seems to, to be a witch hunt for, for Bonds and Clemens. They want to break you. 
They want to break you. They want you to admit it, and, you know, and, and that's what they want to do. They want you to be contrite and all of that. And the same thing, you know, we're going to get into the Hall of Fame thing, but even more, but it's the same thing with Pete Rose. You know, you don't yeah. want Pete Rose to, to just to not be a guy who gambled. You don't want him just to say he's sorry. You want him to grovel. You want him to mm-hmm. beg. You want him, you want, you, want to, you want to strut him out in front of everybody and say, look, this is the guy that you love, and, he, you know, he was a screw-up, and we told you the whole time, and now it finally comes out. But you got a couple guys that's just not going for it, and these are just three guys, and, and, and that's why they were so good. These are guys that don't quit. They're guys that don't fold, and that's what you're dealing with. And, and I just don't understand that in, in almost every other aspect of a person's life, we appreciate these attributes. And in this particular mm-hmm. case, we're trying to punish these people because we're all over and so, or, you know, and then you say to yourself, I'm not going to incriminate myself or my friend. Well, if you don't have evidence, go get it. Come back in and talk to me. But if you don't have enough evidence to do what you need to do by yourself, then don't turn that negative energy on me. So that's kind of, yeah. you know, my take on it. You know what? You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And it really is sickening that, um, I mean, you mentioned P. Rose. There is no sport like baseball that loves to tear down its heroes the way baseball does. It, it shocks me. you got, right now, sitting outside the Hall of Fame looking in, you have the all-time hit leader and one of the fiercest players that ever played the game. If you ever saw him play the game in terms of intensity and, you know, hustle, Charlie Hustle, I mean, for God's sake. You have arguably the greatest hitter that ever played the game, a seven-time MVP, the all-time home run hitter, the, the single-season uh, holder of, of home runs, one of the, like the all-time walk leader in Barry Bonds. You have the only seven-time Cy Young winner, arguably, once again, when you look at the era that he pitched in, perhaps the greatest pitcher of all time when you, when you factor in winning seven Cy Youngs and the consistency and, like, the how much better he was than his peers during a, a, a time when hitting records were being broken. And, and Roger Clemens, outside the Hall of Fame, you have Mark McGuire, who broke the all-time home run record. Sammy Sosa, outside of the Hall of Fame. Uh, Rafael Palmero, one of four men with 500 homers and 3,000 hits, outside the Hall of Fame. And I realize there's a common bond with all of these people that we're mentioning, well, Mike Piazza. Yeah. I mean, well, Mike Piazza. Got, I mean, he's being he's being tainted for no reason. Well, Shoeless Joe Johnson is still outside of the Hall of Fame. Yeah. So it's not just that. You know what I mean? But you know, don't get me wrong. They, they purposely doing these guys, but there's a lot of travesties in terms of Hall of Fame in general. But anyway, finish your point. <laughs> well, my point is, why does baseball hate their play? Why does baseball love to tear down its idols? What is it? What's up with that? It drives me crazy because here's the thing. It's not just – it's not even that they're just the greatest players or whatever. Because, you know, obviously there's a whole, you know, pantheon of those type of people. The, my biggest issue is just that it's more than that. These people are the reason why people like baseball. They're more than just as greatest players. This is the reason mm-hmm. why people watch. You know yeah. what I mean? Baseball was on life support. Football has been yeah. coming on. The NFL has been coming on like gangbusters for forever, just mopping everything up. And then in this past decade with people like LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, Dwayne Wade, and those type of things, the NFL has seen a huge resurgence. 
The MLB was on its deathbed. Had it not been for Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, and Barry Bonds doing that home run piece of it, had it not been for what had what was for a period of time the most ridiculous pitching maybe anyone has ever seen, people were tuning out. People were checking out. Yep. They were done. They got they got sick of all the stuff, and and that brought not only did it bring them back. But it made it so, and, and especially when you factor in things like 9/11 and the Subway series and those type of things, there's some things that happened in that part of time that just catapulted the game and just made the game uh, uh, so special to watch. And, and for you to to, to to keep those people out like you could cut them out of the history, it's absurd. It's absurd. You can't do it. If you, if you can't take back their numbers, then you can't keep them out of the Hall of the Fame. If, if you're saying their numbers are going to stand in the record books. But we're not going to let him in the Hall of Fame. That's supposed yeah, to be based I know, off the numbers. Which, well, I'm going to get into this a little bit more later because on the unfortunate part of of the Hall of Fame discussion, which is this week's main topic, is you can't have the Hall of Fame discussion anymore without having the steroids conversation. The two are in, inexplicably they're they're in, they're intrinsically linked now. And there's no getting around it. And I'm really sick. I am sick to death of talking about steroids, but it's not going away, and it's become an integral part of how we measure a player's career. So the unfortunate thing is all those things I talked about bonds in terms of the home run record, the MVPs, yada, yada, there is a massive asterisk hanging over it all, yeah. But, and here's the thing, I don't know if you saw Jose Canseco's tweets this week, but he's come out and said that Barry Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame. Now, there's a guy whose word means a lot in the steroids era. If Canseco thinks you should be in the Hall of Fame, you should listen. Because Canseco, you'll love this. You've got you to gotta, you gotta check this out, what he said, what Canseco tweeted. First of all, he said, the theory of Captain America being created on PEDs and being thought of as a hero shows how incredibly hypocritical MLB is. All right, so he's drawing parallels between Captain America, a fictional comic books guy, who was... I guess they pumped him up on steroids, right, and made him a hero. Now, if if he's a hero, he's Captain America. Why can't Barry Bonds be a hero or Kenseiko? And then his next tweet, Mark, Bonds, Raphael, Sammy, Clemens, Juan Gonzalez, not in the Hall of Fame. Are you kidding? And then he writes, how is Captain America in the comic book Hall of Fame right next to Superman? <laughs> God, this guy's doing it. Oh, my God. Wow. I mean, Jose Canseco, I love this guy. He's a a genius because he knows how to stay in the media, man, like forever. Oh, yeah. I I don't know how. He knows how to stay. He knows how to stay in the mix. But, I mean, you know, it's it's absurd. But I think, think, you know, in some abstract way, I'll try to pull something out here that's, that's, you know, that we can uh, wrap our minds around. Um, but the line right now, though, the line is so thin. There is an arms race in every single category. For, I mean, from your actual um, uh, uh, makers of steroids and drugs and custom steroids and things of that nature, all the way up to Gatorade that, to, to enhance performance. Everything, yeah. from the clothes mm-hmm. you wear to the pads you have to the helmet that you have, all of those things are meant to enhance performance. The bats you use. All of those type of things, your cleats, all of those things are meant to uh, enhance your performance. So, yeah. number one, okay, so if, smacking if, off, I, if I Right. If I use an illegal piece of equipment, should I be banned for the game for life? Exactly. Exactly. 
and, you know? and which is which, and we'll address it a little bit later too. Which is my biggest issue with the MLB is that at, at the end of the day, every single era of the major of Major League Baseball has been mirrored by some type of corruption, dishonesty, whether it be from the segregation of leagues, whether it be spiking and cork bats to you know spitballs to the Coke era to every single era, there has been some of those things. So if you we're, we're parsing that. Then, and, and a person injected himself with, with whatever, then at that point I got to start talking about people who use tar and spit and that, all that type of thing, which happened all the time, you know, in the earlier years of, of baseball. It just it just seems so disingenuous to make it seem like um, that MLB is such a mor- morally pure institution. Yes. And it's not. It has never been. And that's well, my issue with the whole thing. It's hypocrisy. The big, the big question I have for you, though, Bonnie, is how do you how do you refute what Jose Canseco says? If 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 Captain America is in the comic book hall of fame, <laughs> how is Barry Bonds not the baseball hall of fame? You know what? How do you how do you get more logical than that? How can you beat that argument? I mean, I just want I want to know what substances he was on when he wrote that because he clearly was on something. <laughs> Captain America, really? <laughs> like really? Oh man! I love, oh, that's just that's just gold. All right. I want to drink so with Jose. I'm gonna be honest with you. Oh my God, that'd be great. That'd be just great. <laughs> wow. So the Hall of Fame results are in uh, after an embarrassing shutout in the Hall of Fame last year, just the second time ever that no one was elected. There are three new entrants this year, all first timers too. We got Greg Maddox. We got his longtime teammate Tommy Glavin, and we got the big hurt Frank Thomas. Uh, we'll go through these one by one and talk about our personal uh, recollections of each player, and you know what we thought of them as deserving and whatever. I'm going to start with Maddox. All right. Now, like teammate and fellow Hall of Famer 2014 class Tom Glavin, Maddox was an avid golfer. This is one of the things I definitely remember about him. They just loved to golf. Now. The other thing about Maddox is you almost forget that he began his career with the Cubs, and he had several years there, several good years. Uh, he won his first Cy Young there. And you wonder how that organization's fate would have altered had they opted to keep him all those years. You know, could baseball history have changed if the Cubs had maintained Greg Maddox through the 90s? You know? Yeah. Oh, wow. The number that jumps out at me, 740 career starts. Now, Maddox didn't pitch forever, but he was durable as hell. You know that that is the fourth most in baseball history behind only Cy Young, Nolan Ryan, who pitched till he was like 58, and Don Sutton, who also pitched till he was like pretty much in his 50s. Greg Maddox ranks fourth in all-time career starts. That surprised me when I looked at that. I mean, forget about the wins and the strikeouts and the ERA and the whip and the Cy Youngs and, you know, everything – that's durability, and like, wow. Um, the other thing that amazed me about him, Bonnie, uh, was how successful he was, and I've watched him throughout his entire career, without ever appearing dominant. All he did was get that first strike over and over again, and get that easy ground ball hit at his fielders for easy outs. That's that little soft grounder. I mean, all he did, he never looked like Clemens. You, you know, you stopped and you, you admired Clemens blow hitters away. But, I mean, 
with Maddox, it's just wow. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, that's all he did was win. Uh, and as I mentioned, a first ballot inductee as was Glavin and Thomas. Uh, what What are your recollections of uh, Maddox? Did you Did you get a chance to watch him pitch much? Uh, you know, over his career? I did a little bit. I did a little bit. You know, and it, well, you know, just what I remember is it's just like you said. I mean, it's one of those things where I think it's what's lost right now. And, and we talked about it a while back when we talk about young pitchers and pitch counts and things of that nature. And one of the things that I just remember about this, you know, him and Glavin, for that matter, and those type of guys, that it was, it just seemed like there was so much wit, so much more intelligence. Now it's just so much velocity, so much about velocity. You know what I mean? Like, oh, we, we got to clock them, and, and that's pretty much it. You know what I mean? It's like the 40 time in the NFL. And I, I just didn't really appreciate, you know, placement and, and, and it's just knowing where you put things, not just in a strike zone, but where you're going to put it on the bat. And that's a whole other level of pitching that I just think doesn't exist as much right now, where you could be a career ground ball pitcher. You know what I mean? You don't have to have 80 million Ks. You know, not not that these guys didn't have eye-popping numbers when you look at it as a whole. But then when you think about the fact that, what, I think 17 out of the 23 years, you have, what, 15, 16 wins in all mm-hmm. those years. I mean, that is just just to be able to bank on that? Well, and from a fantasy so perspective, in a keeper league, having a guy like that, I mean, because pitchers from year to year are so volatile, but to have a guy who just went 15 for you every year, wow, you're absolutely right. But to me, like, the most important pitch with Maddox was that strike one. He understood. Mm-hmm. Just throw mm-hmm. that first strike. And, like, because you look at any statistics of almost any hitter pretty well, his career batting average with – you know, count O and O, and then how many points it drops when it's count when he's when he's now O and one. You know, yeah. Like you look at it, well, and that's it. It's it's not rocket science. You know, throw strike one. Well, and no when nimble. you and when you behind on him, you know he he works you out. And and the other thing too is it just you know these are guys where the, I think the relationships the the, the pitcher catcher relationships were a little bit different. You, number one, you had a real chance of having the same catcher for six, seven years, you know, um, those type of things. And then not to mention that they, they were statesmen at that time. You know what I mean? Like now it's less that case. You still got a few guys like Jeter and that type of thing, but it's less statesmen where when a guy comes in, it's like this is the guy, Chipper Jones, you know, those type of guys where, it, where it, you know, like that's the guy. And I think when anybody came into his face, you knew you had to – you had to mold yourself to what he did, and 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 I think that's why he was so successful for so long. What about Glavin? What's what? What were your impressions of Glavin over his career? Honestly, Glavin is a little bit different for whatever reason. I just feel like I always remember him getting beat up. You know what I mean? I just, I, I I never. He's another one where I just I don't remember it being dominant. You know what I mean? No. But when you when no. you go back and look at it, it's like these numbers are crazy. But I just don't ever remember him being super dominant. I gotta be honest. He had a couple of years where he was absolutely lights out and sick. I mean, he he um, unlike Maddox, Maddox was good right away. Glavin struggled for a while early in his career, and then found his mojo. But the the one thing that really jumped out at me about Glavin, the one thing I remember most about him was that he was drafted in baseball and hockey. He was drafted by the LA Kings. And that blew me away as it's a very strange combination of sports to excel at, to be that good at hockey and baseball. I mean, you see baseball and basketball, you see baseball and football, you see basketball and football. 
But how often do you see hockey in baseball? That's really, really weird. Weird combination. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess. I mean, uh, I don't even know how you would do that. But, like, you know, in in, in, in an ultra-physical game like that, it, it yeah, it just it's just a, it's just a weird mix. You don't you don't just you know I, you don't necessarily see how the skills translate. You know, baseball and football, like I see how I, I see how the skills translate. You know, when you think about a Russell Wilson, I, I can see why he would be good at baseball. You know, the guy's fast, he's quick. You know, um, he has a great arm. You know, those type of things. All that makes sense. He has awareness and that type of thing. I can see how those translate to baseball. So it's easy for yeah. me to wrap my mind around that. But hockey, I, can't, I don't really see how a pitcher translates to hockey. I, I know, man. That's what I'm saying. That one freaked me out. It really did. And the other thing uh, that struck me with Glavin, and it always kind of pissed me off as a Braves fan, that Atlanta let him walk away and he wound up earning his 300th win as a Met. That kind of pissed me off. I mean, this guy should have been a career Brave. Yeah, the Braves brought him, brought him back at the end, but he was so bad at that point, they had to release him. And although he seemed interested in pitching on elsewhere, it never happened. He was done. But he winds up with 305 wins, 25 of which were shutouts, and that the 305 wins ranks him 21st all-time. Now, here's a question for you, Bonnie. The next closest pitcher to Tom Glavin's 305 wins is Tim Hudson, who is exactly 100 wins behind him. So <laughs> from where I sit, Glavin may not be nudged from that spot for a very, very long time. What do you no, think? I, don't, I don't think so. Because it will be, I, I definitely don't think so. Because you know what? The guys that can catch him, the guys who go deep in innings, you know, especially, first of all, if you're lucky enough to have run support and things of that nature to help you get those wins, like, and, and, you're, mm-hmm. and you're that type of pitcher, that's number one. And that's rare anyway. But even the guys that, that can pitch that much um, that are going to go in that rotation now that they say pitchers, are only guys like, you know, like a CC Sabathia, somebody who wants to pitch after three days rest and that type of thing. Now that stuff is not happening. And so now when you got a, when you got an ace or, you know, a one or a two, you're you're sitting that person down, and I mean at the end of the day you're watching that count. So so your opportunities are a little bit less. The, the, you know now, like I said, it's so much more velocity based instead of skill based. Like a you know mm-hmm. like Cliff Lee who who paints the you know the strike zone. Now you got the guys with velocity. They can't pitch as long. You know what I mean. So I, the, the chances of somebody breaking that record to me are just. It's, it's super slim. You just you just kind of need the stars to align, and you need a twenty year career. And I just don't. Yeah. I just don't see where yeah. that's happening anyway. Three hundred wins is is fifteen. Three hundred wins is is fifteen wins. Twenty twenty seasons of fifteen wins. That's three hundred. Yeah, that's insane. Twenty seasons of fifteen wins, or fifteen seasons of twenty wins. Good luck with that. I mean, <laughs> that's, yeah. and that's just three hundred wins. He's got three hundred five, and of course Maddox had what like three fifty five or something. I mean, yeah, the man. Glavin, of course, the man wore number 47, is now 47 himself. His career BAPID was 280, which tells me he was somewhat fortunate over his career. Like, about 300 is normal BAPID, like, for a career. So 280 is a bit, a bit low. And that's borne out by his lifetime ERA, which is 3.54, but his lifetime FIP is 3.95, and his lifetime XFIP, 4.59. That surprised me over a run higher. So Glavin, 
was a bit, you talked about his lack of dominance, like never really realizing he was dominant. That ERA was a bit lucky, a little bit lucky. But the interesting thing here, of course, with the two of them going in together, um, they represent the new era of starting pitchers in the hall because Maddox um, reached the major leagues in 86 and Glavin in 87. They're the first starting pitchers like who like spent their entire most of their career as starting pitchers like primarily didn't spend half a year half half time relieving half time starting whatever they're the first starters to enter the hall whose career began after Burt Vlilevin who debuted in 1970 so we had about a 15 year gap in there where no starting pitchers were elected to the hall of fame now all of a sudden the next wave is hit which is interesting because you can also throw another first-timer, Mike Messina, who was the first-timer on the ballot this year into that mix. And then next year, first-time uh, 2015 Hall of Fame eligible hurlers, Randy Johnson, Pedro Martinez, uh, mm-hmm. also into that mix. John Schmoltz as well, though he'll be a special case because of the years he spent closing as well as starting. But now you got the new wave of pitchers, which is interesting because – you know, pitchers got, got no love for like 15 years there, you know. Jack Morris came the closest. We're going to talk about him, I guess, a little later. But uh, nobody got in. Like nobody who really spent primarily pitched in the 80s, let's say, you know. Well, you know. Weird. Well, it, 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 you know, and, I, and I, I guess my thing is that I just struggle with uh, in general is, is just, you know, first of all, I, I, I can't stand Hall of Fame voting, period. Almost, and honestly, I, I have issue with it in almost every sport. You know, me being a Bills fan, having somebody like Andre Reid not in, in the NFL makes me want to just break stuff every single year. But but in the MLB, it it, it it bothers me even more just because there's these kind of, you know, sacred cows of, of, of you, know, you know, you have to be, you know, trying to get – you can't let somebody be unanimous – or you can't, you know, the, the, the whole first-time thing. And, that is and so freaking annoying. In. It, it drives me absolutely. I hate it. It makes me crazy. It makes me crazy. Baseball, though, like, when, did, when did baseball become this, like, like the, the bastion of morality? You know, like, that, give me a freaking break. It's just such total bullshit. Uh, you know, these people with their sacrosanct ideas, like, you know, oh, He's a Hall of Famer, but he's he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer because only special people get first ballot. He's got to wait. He's got to pay his dues. Look, if the guy deserves to get in, he deserves to get in. What the he f- deserves ah! to get in. Vote him in because you playing that silly game might keep that person out at all. I was looking at something today, and I just want to share this with you. This is how crazy it is. You know, uh, when, when you think about, like, the percentages and that thing like that, Cy Young got in with 76%. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Whitey Ford got in with seventy-seven percent. You know, uh, you know these are the, some of this stuff. Like I, when I look at this, it just just blows my mind. You know, like Kirby Puckett, eighty-two percent. You know, and, and and when you think about just Yogi Berra, eighty-five percent. When you think about some of this stuff, uh, either Sandy Koufax at eighty-six percent. You said Joe DiMaggio, eighty-eight percent. Okay, so there's a guy. There was there was several guys. <laughs> they were like, I'm not voting for Joe DiMaggio. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, who was that guy? Who, like, and, and, and why are these people being tarred and feathered? It, it makes me absolutely crazy. How? 
when you have these type of players that, that you know, I mean, there's, half of the people in the Hall of Fame should have been unanimous. It's, 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 it's insane. So that's how you get these, these guys get caught in these log jams, and now you say, okay, now we can't have four catchers go in and we can't have two pitchers and one blah, blah, blah. And they, and they create these little, these little rules for themselves that keep people out of the Hall of Fame that clearly deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. It makes I, me not- I hear you, man. I totally hear you. We're actually going to discuss that in detail a little bit later as we close the show because I want to talk about Maddox and his whole chance to be unanimous. Glavin, by the way, got in with 91.9% of the vote, which is pretty damn good. But let's just finish up the, uh, the final uh, inductee this year, which, of course, is Frank Thomas. Uh, any, ch- any thoughts you want to share on Frank Thomas there? Any memories? Well, Frank Thomas, you know, well, first of all, it, 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 it cast a light on – because I think he we had uh, five twenty five ish five twenty four home runs five twenty one five twenty one five twenty one. When you think about that, and then you think about like Barry Bonds. First of all, let's put that in perspective again. Just how so far away from everybody else he is. But Frank Thomas, for not having the whole steroid cloud over his head, probably one of my favorite players is not a Yankee. I mean. It was just it, it was just one of those great mixes of somebody that seemed like they were a genuinely good person, somebody that was you know a great interview that was a long ball hitter, you know. Um, I just really enjoyed watching um, Frank Thomas play the big hurt. I, I enjoyed watching him play, and I just remember so many visions of just watching it. And he had such a beautiful stroke and for such a big man and things like that. Mm-hmm. I just I just enjoyed him, and then when you think about his actual numbers, I mean, some of the stuff is eye popping. You know, a career nine seventy four OPS, you know, stuff like that. I mean, it's just stuff that's just uh, just really absurd. Like, I mean, I, I would hate to have to pitch against this man um, in in any yeah, form of fashion. So he's one of my favorites. Uh, one thing I was interested, uh, one of the things I was reading, and I thought I'd throw this out there, because um, Frank Thomas is tied with Mark McGuire as the tallest members of the 500 homer club. Each of them are six foot five. Interesting to note that, um, you know, you don't see a Well, I mean, six five is pretty tall for baseball anyhow, of course. But uh, the Thomas, of course, was he was a product of the steroid era. But obviously, he is somehow immune to the suspicion. Now, it's helped, of course, that he's spoken out against steroid users, which I guess helps solidify his own claims as the clean star. A couple numbers jumped out at me. Doubles and homers combined, 1,016. Holy crap. Over 1,000 doubles and homers combined. 555 lifetime slugging average. That ranks 21st all-time. Tied with Hank Aaron. Not too bad. Just behind Mickey Mantle. That's pretty good company, I would say. Batting eye, the things I remember about him is batting eye and pitch recognition were legendary. That allowed him to be an extremely patient slugger. Now, I wonder how many dingers Thomas would have smoked had he sacrificed his BA and patience just a little bit. Been a bit more of an aggressive hitter. He wouldn't have been a career 300 hitter, obviously. Uh, maybe a 280, 285. Not as many walks, but you could have added 100 or more homers to his total. He could have had some big, big homer in years, especially in his prime. He wound up with 270 more walks than strikeouts, 16.5% walk rate. That is fantastic. Helped Mm. him finish 10th all-time in walks, just 41 behind Melot, and he had more walks than Eddie Yost. 
The guy was a true slugger without a doubt, but a patient one, and that made, that's what made him so dangerous. And we always knew he'd be a big-time power guy, but as a minor leaguer, it was not clear he'd ever be more than a 275-ish type of hitter. He wound up as a 301 lifetime hitter, just missed the batting title in 96 uh, when he hit 349, finished nine points behind A-Rod, and then he bagged his only title the following year. Pretty impressive career there, Frank Thomas. Um, just before we finish up the Hall of Fame thread there, uh, Ronnie, a few notes that jumped out at me here. Um, we had 22 different players that received at least seven votes this year, which is interesting. Uh, Craig Biggio, let's talk about him. Fell two votes oh. short. Okay. That two votes short. Uh, <laughs> that uh, is, that's, that's a new record for the most, the highest percentage of, like, the smallest margin ever to, to miss. Like, no one's ever gotten that many votes and not gotten in. Biggio just set a new record. Un-freaking-believable, eh? Well, this goes back to what I said. Now, if you had a couple – now, imagine – you, you mean to tell me there's not at least two guys that try to play some stupid game about where he should go in and when and how and all that type of dumbness? You well, know what I mean, come you on. Know least... Well, it's a stupid game or not, I mean, it's not a stupid game to them. You know what I mean? Like, to them, the, the fact is this is, on a, this is a completely uh, subjective process, all right? So everyone is going to bring their own kind of baggage or ideas to the table, no matter what, you know? Like, you would approach it differently than I would, than, than someone else would. It's just that's well, just the way it is. is. And this is the thing. And here's my thing. If you, if you don't if, – if, if I felt that two guys didn't think he should be in the Hall of Fame, I would have no problems with it. But my problem is, is that there were two guys – I believe that there were at least two guys who thought he should be in the Hall of Fame. They just didn't think this is how he should be in the Hall of Fame. Or they thought, you know, he should. You know what I mean? That's the type of thing that makes me frustrated. Two, two, two votes, two votes. I feel for this yeah. guy so well, much. It's not, I feel it's not for him so they much. all got together and, and realized that he was only two votes short. That's just the way things worked out. You know what I mean? It's not like it's like who are you voting for? Who are you voting for? Okay, you were voting for Biggio. Okay, I'm gonna I'm not gonna vote for Biggio then. You know what I mean? It's like well, I don't think it's, it's just, collusion. I don't think like they're colluding no. or anything like that. I just but it's mean, just one of those things where if you think a guy should be in the Hall of Fame. And he's up, vote for him. You know yeah, what I mean? Yes. You know, if you have your short list now, if 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 there was a situation where you had a short, but when you look at the list of guys, you know that were available, most of those guys are had a freeze because of the steroids. Okay, if that's the position that you're taking, whatever. That's that's been established. But then when you talk about the guys that are remaining, you know what I mean? And you're and you're coming up with your short list of your five or six or seven guys. He had to be in there on, on, on almost everybody's list. There's no real reason why he shouldn't have been in your five, six, or seven slot for anybody. You know what I mean? And then when you calculate it like that, it's just kind of hard for me to see that he wouldn't have got in. Um, and that's what just makes me a little bit suspicious. Now, that said, that said, I mean, you know, two votes, I mean, I, I, can't, I can't see there's any way he doesn't get in um, soon. So, I, 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 you know, I don't think it would be a problem. I just think that that's just so hard to, to look at. Seventy-four point eight percent between you and yeah. the Hall of Fame. It's. I mean, if he doesn't get in for by some, I mean, obviously you figure the, at the very least the Veterans Committee will get in, but it's. It's yeah. It's it's pretty. It's 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 almost funny. It's comical. You know, two votes shy. 
So Maddox, meanwhile, has picked on 555 of 571 ballots, 97.2%, eighth highest in history. And, of course, uh, there was talk that he could break the record or even become the first unanimous player ever. We'll get to that later. Thomas, first ever Hall of Famer to spend the majority of his career as a DH. Interesting uh, a new wrinkle there. Uh, of course, that, that certainly fueled to Edgar Martinez's hopes that he will get into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Uh, Maddox and Glavin going in together. With Cox, Bobby Cox will also be going in because there were three managers uh, voted in this year uh, by not the Veterans Committee, but by some other committee they have that votes in people. Uh, Not only that's very appropriate, the three of them going in together. I mean, I guess if if they wait a year and throw Schmoltz into the mix, it would be even better. But they're going to become the first pair of 300-game winners to be inducted in the same year. Pretty amazing there, eh? Yeah, and, and, and uh, uh, they will be the only. Yeah, the, 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 the yeah, last three of the game winners, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, quite possibly. Of, well, I mean, yeah, Randy I don't Johnson. See any way that Randy Johnson is still to go in, of course. Um, but the fact that these three players all went in on their first ballot—that's only happened one other time, and that was uh, in 1999. Nolan Ryan, George Brett, and Robin Yount. Now that was a hell of a Hall of Fame class. This this is one of the best Hall of Fame classes ever. As a result, you've got to figure, you know, three first ballot Hall of Famers. That's impressive. Well, it, well the, the Hall needed this. You know, it needed it needed the three that went in as coaches. You know, when you think about also Joe, Joe Torrey and Tony LaRusso, like that had to happen. I mean, so 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 that was a great threesome. This is a great threesome. Mm. And after last year, they needed this year really, really bad because, I mean, at the end of the day, as, as frustrated as everybody still is about, you know, how the Hall handles it and all that type of thing, the bottom line is you have six people going into the Hall of Fame that absolutely there's no argument whatsoever. Yeah, absolutely. There could be no argument. You know what I mean? And so when you have that hope, when you have that energy going in, I think that's something that baseball needed. That's something that the Hall definitely needed. Um, you know, to, to allow us to have something to talk about other than steroids because these guys are all deserving and they all have long, great careers with great moments in it that people can talk about instead of talking about, you know, you know, PDs or whatever. So yeah. I'm, I'm happy for it. I think, I think it I, worked out well that way. That's cool. Mike Piazza up uh, to 62.2%. He was at 578 last year. He's getting there. Uh, is he going to get in or not? Oh, I, I mean, I, I think he gets in. I mean, I, okay. You know, I mean, when you talk about hitting catchers, I mean, like, I don't, I don't know, I don't know who, how many people are better than than, than Mike Piazza. I I can't think of any off the top of not my head. Not at his peak. Not at his peak. Yeah. I mean, at his peak, uh, there was really almost pretty much no one better. But in terms of like over their entire career. You certainly, you know, uh, put put bench in there and, and yeah, a couple yeah, others were yeah. up. But uh, Jack Morris uh, was at 67.7 last year. This looked like his last hope. He just needed a few more percent to get over that final hump, but he dropped to 61.5 in his 15th and final appearance. He is off the writer's ballot and is now up to the uh, Veterans Committee to elect Jack Morris if he is going to get in. He is now uh, the he had the highest percentage of votes 
for anyone not in the Hall of Fame. Like he, the 67.7 that he got, that's as high as anyone's yeah. ever got not gotten into the Hall of Fame. Uh, is he going to get in? Does he deserve to get in? I mean, this is this is a big issue, Jack Morris. Divides a lot of people. Um, I, I'm I'm one of those people that thinks that in this particular case that you know it actually it actually makes sense that it be the you know the uh, you know the vets that that handle that you know what I mean. At the end of the day, just as murky as the water is, you know, in terms of writers' ballot, I I I think that's tough. I think you have some explaining to do, and I just I don't think that you can deal with that right now. You know, I just not, right. that one. If, you know that you know it kind of makes sense that you would not really mess with that one. And, and, and honestly, I, I think there's definitely a chance that he gets in, you know, um, you know, off of the vets, but I think that's just a tough one to try to put right now with what's going on. I just think that'd be a hard sell. Yeah, I guess to me, the, the case for Morris was he was the best pitcher to basically spend his entire career in the 80s. Like, he, spanning that entire decade of pitchers who pitched from 1980 to 1989, the th- Pitching on three different World Series teams, like he just all he did was win. He had a couple of the most memorable games, but of certainly the, that game, that uh, the '92 World Series, uh, Twins Braves, that game that he pitched, uh, the ten inning shutout performance was one of the most incredible individual pitching performances I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it's one game. One game is not my career. But all he did was just win. And, uh, yeah, he was never the best. His numbers are not sexy, but he was the best pitcher of his era. And that's, that, that means something to me anyhow. We'll see if he gets in. It does. I just think, I just think as, as a whole, people are pretty much down on the 80s. You know what I mean? Yeah, they are. Um, and, well, look at the so back. Bagwell and Reigns both dropped. Their percentages are on the decline, so it looks like they've peaked and now are slipping. Reigns, Bagwell doesn't surprise me a little. Reigns does not get the love. He does not get the love. You look at his numbers, I think it's unfair. Yeah, I mean, he, and, well, and, and, then, and then you have something in reverse where you have some players that have the numbers, but for whatever reason just didn't permeate the nat- you know, the national scene and really get into people's parts of minds and, and, and things of that nature. And there's some – Randy Johnson, prime example. So Randy Johnson is – you know, obviously he has the numbers to get in, but, but part of what it was was that this big, long guy with a, a, a mullet and that mustache and that whole look, that whole energy, that long trench coat. I remember the poster that he had with the trench coat and the cowboy had, like, the Walker, Texas Ranger type situation yeah, yeah. and all that. That was just a guy – that for whatever reason you could just put on whatever and his smarmy attitude worked for him, and he was just in the minds of everybody else. Same thing with Pedro, same thing with, you know, guys like that. And some guys have some of the numbers, but for whatever reason just do not resonate with people. And and, and it shouldn't matter. And, again, it shouldn't matter, but it's one of those things that does, and I just think he's a victim of that. Yeah, I hear you. Well, we're almost uh, we're running out of time, so I'm going to whip through the rest of this pretty quick there, Bonnie. Um, just just a quick couple of notes here. Um, about, we were talking about this quite a bit, so I'm going to just to kind of cement that thought that uh, the writers are in turmoil right now, the writers who vote, the voters. One voter left his submitted a blank ballot, didn't vote for anybody at all. 
So there you go. Right away, that takes away the unanimous possibility for Maddox. Miami Herald columnist Dan LeBatard, did you hear about this? He turned his ballot over to Deadspin. I mean, of course, the famous, you know, satire sports site. Like, just said, go ahead, do it. You know what I mean? His attitude about it. His quote was, I hate all the moralizing we do in sports in general, but I especially hate the hypocrisy of this. So good for him. He's absolutely right. I always like a little anarchy inside the cathedral we've made of sports. Good for him. I like that. Well, uh, it has to come for the writers. Yeah, you know what? But it's got to be really... I've had this discussion with so many people. What would you do as a Hall of Fame voter right now? Do you... The way I look at it is one of two things. You either say, you know what? Fuck it. They're all on roids. The playing field was level. If you listen to Jose Canseco, 80% of the players are doing roids. The pitchers are doing roids. The hitters are doing roids. So who cares? The playing field's level. Let them all in. Or you let yeah, Joe I mean, Well, at the end of the day, Barry Bonds was a Hall of Famer before he, the, 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 the uh, steroids was even a thing. You know what I mean? So... Well, like like stuff like that is 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 for me kind of crazy. I think some of these guys, even if you take out those three or four years that 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 may have transpired, and not to mention a lot of these guys were going against juice pitching, and so it's not like these guys were hitting clean guys. You know what I mean? Like if if if, if we're yeah. playing tennis and and I got a new spiffy racket and you got a new spiffy racket, it doesn't matter if my racket is illegal if you got the exactly. same one. Exactly. This is what you know, I'm saying. Either like either we just say. Screw it. We don't care that you were on roids. You can all yeah, come I, in. Or I, I, I mean, I don't care. I don't. Or we say, what? I mean, there's a black cloud hanging over the whole thing, and, and, and really nobody knows what to do. So Lee Smith, uh, he's, he plummeted this year, over 100 votes. Um, doesn't look like he's going to get in. Now, before we uh, let's talk about the contract extension, uh, Ronnie, so we can get the hell out of here and uh, go watch some TV. <laughs> um, Don Mattingly gets a three-year extension from the Dodgers. What do you think? You like this move, or are you surprised? Is he a good well, manager? Like, what's the deal here? I mean, you, you, I mean, you'd be hard pressed to mean to not ride with Don Mattingly on. Oh, anything, right. Really. Sorry, I forgot. Donnie Ball, of course. <laughs> My bad. I, yes. I don't know what I'm thinking. I mean, does he yes. strike you as a particularly good manager? Well, here's the thing. I mean, I think I think, I think, think he will be a good manager. I just think the one thing about it is because of who he is, I think people expected like, immediate turnaround. But at the end of the day, I mean, they did have some injury issues and things of that nature, and they have some chemistry issues. And I think there's certain things that need to be worked out. I mean, when one of your best players in Kemp and that type of thing are down, that affects it, but at the end of the day, I mean, the guy, you know, he's uh, what forty some games over, over you know, uh, five hundred or something like that in his three years, I believe. Um, thirty-five. I, I do think he. Yep, thirty-five. I do think he will be. Um, I do think he will be a great uh, manager because he's been around so many of them and Joe Torre and that type of thing. I just, yeah. think I just think like anything else with a player, there's just some there's maturity in the coach too that has to happen where you learn how to talk to your players. He's an old school dude. And I think he needs to just when you got people like please, <laughs> you know, I think you got to get in kind of a new school um, attitude to be able to communicate with these players today. Yeah, well, we're going to talk about uh, Puig in a second, but of course, in late July we wrote about how Mattingly really had the Dodgers rolling, which surprised us because 
just a couple months earlier, he looked like he was going to get axed at any moment after the, you know, with the Dodgers, that huge payroll, they were doing nothing. As you mentioned, he, he, uh, he, he, he grew up under Joe Torre, replaced Torre after the 2010 season. He's improved every year. 82 wins his first year, 86 last year, 92 in 2013. Made the playoffs for the first time this year, well, last year. Uh, wound up going 5-5 five and five in the playoffs. 485 games as a manager, 260 and 225. Not bad. Not bad at all. Uh, of course, 14-year career as the Yankee, all in Yankee, 1,785 games in pinstripes before back woes ended his career. Uh, I think you... Well, interesting thing. He's on the Hall... This is his 14th season on the Hall of Fame ballot. And he got just yep. over 14% of the vote. So he's going to stick around for a 15th and final season, but no Mattingly, barring some crazy-ass miracle next year, and that's just not going to happen... You've never seen a jump like that. He's, if he's going to get in the Hall of Fame, it'll be the Veterans Committee that puts him in. Uh, you know, this situation, though, had the potential to get ugly with, with Mattingly and the Dodgers. Um, after the Dodgers got eliminated, he held a press conference in which he said uh, that despite an option you're kicking in by the Dodgers winning the division series against Atlanta, it did not mean he would return. He publicly stated that, and you know, kind of like laying the gauntlet down there for the Dodgers, you know, hey, how about an extension kind of thing. Now, fortunately, a meeting just a couple of days later with team chairman Mark Walter and president Stan Kasten assured Mattingly something would get done. So that was the extent of his public squawking about the situation. Uh, and now that this uh, contract extension's done, I guess uh, we won't hear any more uh, from that camp. But you mentioned uh, Yasiel Puig. Back in the news again this week because we all remember that he got pulled over and arrested, charged with um, reckless driving uh, at the end of December, just a few days before uh, New Year's Eve, uh, between Christmas and New Year's Eve, uh, when, in Florida when he was doing 110 miles an hour in a 70 zone. And he, the, the reason he's in the news again this week was that yesterday a video uh, the police dashboard video was released. Did you get a chance to see it? I did. It was crazy. Well, it's long. It's 54-minute video. And mostly it's in Spanish, so if you can't understand it, I mean, because the, the uh, officer, once he realized that we can't speak English at all, he starts communicating with him in Spanish. He's talking to some of the other um, people in the car in English, and then he starts speaking in Spanish. Luckily, he was bilingual. Um, but there's a website that translates the key components. And the interesting thing about this, the officer keeps yelling at Puig, asking him if he cares about his mother who was in the car. Like he's driving 110 miles an hour with his mother in the fucking car. Now, we all know about Puig and his attitude problems. There's been questions about that. But 110 miles an hour in a 70-mile-an-hour zone in Naples. Now, he lives in Miami during the off-season. He told the trooper that the officer, he wasn't speeding for most of the two-hour trip north until the officer clocked him. Yeah, okay. Well, I wasn't speeding for 30 seconds ago. I just sped up when I saw you clogging me. <laughs> so the right, officer on, said, dude. this is your mom? Oh, you're going to jail. You are putting your mom in danger. Oh, hell no. I guess uh, the officer's a mama's boy and doesn't really appreciate, 
you know, that you're speeding along with Mama. I'd probably probably throw Mama from the train is not one of his favorite movies. Well, I'm uh, gonna tell you, it, it wouldn't have bothered me if, if, if this story had been happening and he said he was speeding or whatever, even though it's stupid. I would have been like, really? Why is this news? But honestly, I'm going to be honest. The fact that his mother in his car bothers the hell out of me as well because it's just, it's just you, you're, you're reckless with other people. That's the type of person that gets other people killed, where you drink and you get other people killed. The only yeah. thing that's the worse world's... than that is if he had a kid in the back. If he had a kid in that car, like, he won't. Well, they were going to see his kid. He, was taking a, he said he was taking his mom to go see his 20-day-old baby. All right, he had yeah. a baby born three weeks ago, and he's well. They're in such a hurry; they got to drive 110. What is? I mean, 110. That's freaking fast, man. Yeah, you got a 28 year old baby, and you're risking not your 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 life as a father, your mother's life as a grandmother. I mean, it, it just says and it, two, it's two not people in the back. So much, it just says something about your thought process and your maturity. Yeah. And it, it just doesn't speak well. I know, I know, I know that I'm, I'm hesitant now to put a, you know, 180 million dollars in his hands. Yeah. You know. Yeah. The officer, so. the officer asked him, "Why were you driving that fast? You don't care about anyone's life in the car." And he responded, "Yes, I do care. I'm sorry. Please forgive me." Okay. He knows he's in trouble. He, he knows he's again. Um. Okay. The mother was in the car, a cousin, and another passenger. Uh, the trooper was explaining to, to them all why he was being arrested. Um, he said, uh, the reason we are, why we are in this situation is because he didn't care about his mother's life or your lives, and he's going to jail. Uh, and Puig's mother's crying at this point. And then Puig his car, of the police car, and he starts talking to himself. And he says, why do you have to drive so fast, Puig? You have to learn. Uh, and he repeatedly asked the officer to let him go, at one point he'd saying he would do anything, and that he would never drive again. But please don't take me to jail, he said. Uh, I don't know, man. The Dodgers, if you ask me, have a king-size problem on their hands here. They've already invested a lot of money in him. He signed a $42 million seven-year contract in June 2012, which was at the time a record for a Cuban. Uh, but given his numerous... Um, maturity issues, they have to figure out whether they want this guy to be a key part of the team or not. What do you, what do you think, man? Well, and this goes back to why I think uh, re-signing Don Mattingly is a good thing. I mean, like, if you talk about somebody that's going to hold him accountable, Mattingly would do that. And I, but, I, but it can't just be him. It has to be something that you're doing with the entire organization. you got to sit this kid down. you got to set clear parameters. And there has to be leadership on that team. We've seen Freed act up in the in the, in the, in the uh, dugout. We've seen him, uh, uh, you know, have these little temper tantrums and things of that nature. We've seen him show show up, you know, other teams, yeah. which I actually don't have an yeah. issue with. But we've seen it though. And and there and, yeah. and and I haven't seen one example of somebody grabbing him by the. Can you imagine? And and I hate to I hate to I hate to plug it, plug the Yankees again. But can you imagine in any shape, way, form, or fashion? Of that happening, of him doing some of the stuff that he does in a Derek Jeter dugout, <laughs> not happening. It's not happening. Well, or a Chipper Jones I guess the dugout. Question or is who, who exactly is going to grab this? You've seen Puig. He's a freaking monster. He's like six five, like two fifty. He's a monster. Who is going to grab this guy and throw him up against the wall physically? I don't know. I mean, but I, I hear what you're saying. Not Somebody's got to. But okay, but, but you like, think, you basically, think, um, you think. 
chewing out. Oh yeah, Jeter. Of course, I've seen Jeter chewing out the kids. That's the Yankee way. I get that. Uh, do we, so do we have? A, is this a leadership issue of the Dodgers? Now, one of the questions put forth to Ned Coletti, the general manager. Uh, he says that they're going to continue to try to educate and mentor him, but they will not go so far as having someone mind him around the clock the way the Rangers did. Remember the Rangers hired like a personal kind of assistant almost with Josh Hamilton. Basically, you're going to to be with this guy all the time. Like babysit him because, of course, Hamilton had all his drug and alcohol problems. Uh, They're not going to go that far with Puig. But, um, you know, this isn't the first time he's shown a complete disregard for speed limits. It was just in April he was clock going 97 in a 50-mile-an-hour zone in Tennessee, although those charges were later dismissed. I doubt these charges are going to be dismissed. What is the I – don't, I don't know, man. This, this guy's got some growing up to do. Well, it, when, the difference, when the difference between what the speed limit is and what you went over, okay – is less than the difference between how much you went over and what the actual speed limit is, you, you're doing too much, guy. You know what I mean? You're doing too much. Yeah. When you're going over the speed limit, what, 42 miles an hour or something like that, and the speed limit is 70, okay, which means you're 30, 30 miles an hour from what the actual speed limit is, you almost doubled the speed limit um, on the highway, it, 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 it's, it's unfathomable, especially when you have all of those people and you have so much to live for. you got a 20-day-year-old baby you're going to go see. It just says something about where you're at mentally, and I just I, I just have a hard time yeah. dealing with somebody mentally. you got to set clear parameters for this kid, clear. And yeah, I'm I mean, talking the, about you the Dodgers, the Dodgers are playing it cool, but inside they have to be sweating this out. They have to be thinking, oh, shit, this kid, we need to do something with this kid. You know, I mean, this is not good. This is really not good. So, something to watch. I don't know, man. Huh? It's definitely something to watch. It's definitely something to watch. So I'm, I'm gonna keep an eye on it because I'm, I'm just interested yeah. how it's gonna how it's gonna go. He's a very exciting young player. He's a great young talent. In a lot of ways, he's great for the game, but it's embarrassing. The shit that he is pulling. The guy needs to grow up pronto, and I don't know, man. I do not know, but uh, I do know that we got to call this a night. Uh, I want to thank Vonnie very much uh, once again for joining me, stepping up to the plate and going yard there, my friend. Appreciate that immensely. It's been a it's been a slice. Uh, it's been, well, um, I want to leave with bro. one. I want to leave with one note. I want to leave with one note. Yeah, I just go, for it. go for it. Go for it. And I and I and I. My deepest condolences to Biggie up, Biggie up, because when you think about Jack Morris and Dan Libertard, both those could have been the ones that got him in. And so, <laughs> so when you think about like those two things, I, I really do hope he gets in next year, man, because that's a brutal to miss it by that much. So uh, that's my condolences to him. I'm going to leave him with that Yeah, one. you know what? I could give a shit if Vizio got in or not, to be honest with you. I really could. I mean, yeah, it sucks <laughs> to get that close to not get in, but I just don't care. You know why? Because I, I like sports goggles, because that's the way I roll, man. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to finish you. the show with off. If it was Sean like Paul Brady, I would be with you. Yeah, absolutely. We're going we're gonna to do some Sean Mulray in here. And uh, thanks again for tuning in, everyone, listening to Roto-Rob's Fantasy Baseball Weekly Podcast. 
We will be back next Thursday to uh, pollute the airwaves with more of our fantasy baseball madness. Thanks again, Bonnie. Have yourself a freaking awesome week, and we'll we'll talk to you later. All right. Have a good one.